Well, good morning, Go Church family. And today we're in week number two of our Summer in the Psalms series. And what about last Sunday? I mean, my father-in-law, Pastor Allen, kicked off this series with some powerful preaching. And I'm confident that today we're going to continue with an amazing word. As a matter of fact, our guest speaker is our very own Germantown, Maryland campus pastor, David Waldrip. And Pastor David is a son of the house, and I am incredibly proud of the man of God that he is. And I'm confident that today you're going to be blessed as he brings a word from the Lord. So do this. Can you stand to your feet? The Bible says to give honor where honor is due. Everybody put your hands together and welcome the man of the hour, Pastor David. Waldrip as we jump into week number two of Summer in the Psalms. All right, all right. Hey, thank you so much. You guys can be seated. You guys are so, so generous. I am going to jump right in as soon as I give honor because I really believe in that. So the first thing I want to do is just honor Pastor JC and Kimberly. Thank you so much for your leadership. Let me tell you, for those watching online, for those in this room, this is, uh, this is the most difficult year to ever be in leadership. And our pastor has led with such confidence in the word of God. He has led in, in a spirit of vulnerability and humility. I'm honored to be a part of this team and serve under your leadership. I love you, Pastor JC. In the comment section and in the room right now, can we just tell our lead pastor, thank you. Thank you for that. Let me also look into the cameras in the back and just say a big thank you and hello to everyone watching online, especially my campus family, my Germantown family. I'm so glad to, to see you guys tuning in and uh, getting to hang out with you on Wednesday nights. Uh, for those of you that serve on our GO team, love that you're tuning in right now. And to our Noonan pop-up campus, come on, Noonan, what's going on? We love our Noonan family. And then everyone in the room, you look so good. I'm so honored to get to be here today. I want to I jump right in because this word is, uh, is something that has challenged me so much. And uh, I'm really excited to bring forth this word. I'm loving this series, Summer in the Psalms. So we're going to jump right in here. I'm going to go to this big gospel TV right here. And we're going to go through this verse. And I'm going to be reading from the NIV translation. But we're starting out in Psalms chapter 1. And this is what it says. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. So we're talking about a blessed person here, all the things that a blessed person does not do. And we're going to talk about what blessed actually means in just a second, but keeping it going here. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. And finally, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Now, I want to talk to you today about what it means to live a blessed life. And what does blessing actually mean? Because I think we've, we've perpetuated this idea as, as pastors for this past 
50, 70 years that blessings is, is money, it's, it's possessions, it's material things, and that is, that is not the biblical definition of what blessings are. See, this, the Psalms, this is written in the Old Testament, and the entire Old Testament is written in either Hebrew, mostly Hebrew, and some Aramaic. And it was also translated into Greek called the Septuagint. And I looked up the, the Greek and Hebrew definitions of this word blessed. And what that definition means is happiness or fully satisfied. So to be blessed does not mean to have a lot of things. It means to actually have complete fulfillment, complete satisfaction, and complete happiness. Now, whether you're a believer or not, whether you're a Christian or not, you can recognize that throughout all of in the entire humanity, the history of our human race, the search for happiness and fulfillment is, is the number one question on everyone's mind. How do I become happy? And there have been thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of books written on how to be happy. So many steps to happiness. This is the real secret to happiness. And the reason they keep writing these books over and over and over again is because, to be honest, they, they don't work. Now, they, they introduce some good ideas, and they, they bring some good thoughts to our mind, but the reality is it fails because when you use these self-help books alone, it doesn't really bring you satisfaction and fulfillment. So I want to tell you today, save your money because in Psalms chapter 1, everything that we just read, it answers the, those two basic questions. Number one, why am I not happy and why am I not fulfilled? Why are we so unhappy that even though we live in the most comfortable age ever and technology allows us to do everything and we have air conditioning and we have easy access to food, we don't have to hunt and, and forage for food, everything is so comfortable for us, yet I think we'd all be willing to say this is the most unhappiest and unfulfilled generation ever. And this psalm answers that. Why am I so unhappy? Why am I not ever fulfilled? And it also answers, how do I then actually become completely happy and become completely fulfilled? So in order to do that, we're going to pick apart each of these verses. And I'm going to be really honest with you. I'm going to go really, really fast because I don't have a lot of time. And I get to preach to you, you know, once or twice a year. And when I get it, I'm up here like this. And I got a lot running through my head. And I have ADHD. And I just want to go, okay? So, so just bear with me here because I'm going to fly through this. And I also want to set this up. Because uh, as much as I would love to come here and make you feel really good and make you love my preaching and make you love me as a person, that's not going to happen today. Uh, this is not going to be one of those feel-good sermons. This is going to hurt a little bit, but it's going to be in a good way. It's going to feel good, all right? And so it's going gonna, it's gonna to feel good to the soul here. So let's look at the first verse. Blessed, so in other words, anytime, just know I'm talking about blessed, I'm not replacing the Bible, but for our terminology today, we're going to look at what blessed means, happiness and fulfillment. So happy and fulfilled is the one who does not, and I want to highlight this verse here, walk in step with the wicked. They don't walk in step with the wicked. You, you ever notice someone that really has complete happiness and complete satisfaction, how intentional they are with the way they live. 
Like, it seems like things don't happen to them like they happen to things. Like, they walk in a room and things change there. Like, their life doesn't get shaken. They're very, very intentional. They're not, it's not that they don't make mistakes, but everything they eat and everything they do is so regimented, so disciplined. The, the decisions they make are so wise. And when I think about walking, Walking represents the the decisions that we make, the actions that you take. Walking requires motion. And so I think the first thing, remember, we're answering the question, why am I not happy? Why am I not fulfilled? And and we can see that here because when you walk and step with the wicked, this is what verse 6 says at the very end, the way of the wicked leads to destruction. And so the the first thing we need to understand is this, why am I not happy? Why am I not fulfilled? It's because of your destructive decisions. It's, it's your very own, the first thing that we got to understand is robbing you of our, of our real happiness, of our real fulfillment, is the decisions that you're choosing to make. You're walking in step with the wicked and making bad choices. And what makes me so heavy-hearted as a pastor is when I see that people constantly making destructive decisions, and then when they end up in destruction, they blame God for that destruction, and they leave their faith because, after all, how could God allow this destruction in my life? And they're not seeing that the heart of this is the destructive decisions. We've made a decision to walk in the way of the wicked, and then it ends up in destruction, and we blame God. And what breaks my heart about this is not that it hurts God's feelings. It's not that it hurts my feelings or that you left my faith. It hurts because you're, you're never going to get to the real heart of the issue, which is your decisions. And you'll end up going through your whole life playing the victim, and it's always God's fault, or it's always the devil's fault, or it's always your parents' fault, or it's always, you know, so-and-so's fault or this fault, when, to be honest, you're making bad decisions that are undermining your happiness. The direction of your life is determined by the decisions that you make. And so let me ask you, where are you going? Where are you going? What did you do this weekend And what does that say about the direction that your life is headed? Let me go a step further. I want to challenge you and everyone watching online to evaluate that and to take ownership and to look yourself in the mirror and say, you know what? That's on me. That's on me. Because until you do that, it's not going to get better. You're going to keep making bad decisions and it's going to lead to destruction. And that's what this passage says. So that's the first thing we got to address. We're not happy and fulfilled because you're making destructive decisions. Let's keep moving. I'm going to highlight a different part of verse one here. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take. Okay, so walking, we talked about that, that implies a behavior, but to stand, that implies a belief. You, you take a stance. What are you standing for? What are the things that you would say, this is my belief, this is, this is what I believe to be true? The stance in the way of the wicked, here's what this is implying. Not only, it's, it's one thing to make bad decisions. I've made plenty of them, and you've made plenty of them. No one's denying that. 
But there's a difference between making bad decisions and repenting versus making bad decisions and then marking down and advocating for the very bad decisions that are leading you to destruction. Now, you're not only making bad decisions, you're actually justifying them. You're not even recognizing that they're destructive anymore. You want to stand and recognize that, you know what? That decision wasn't that bad. And it undermines your happiness and your fulfillment, which is our second thing right here. Why aren't we happy and fulfilled? Our destructive decisions, but when we go a step further with our misguided beliefs. We have misguided beliefs. We get in a very dangerous place when you're not only making bad decisions, but you're justifying them. This, this breaks my heart. And again, it comes back to verse 6. Because the way of the righteous is what the Lord watches over, but the way of the wicked is what leads to destruction. And when you start to have these misguided beliefs, you start to ha- take offense to this verse. Now here's where I'm going to come for secular humanism that that America really buys into and really believes. It's this idea of subjective morality. And, And this verse completely slaps that worldview in the face. It's really, really bad because it draws a binary. It said that there is righteous and there is wicked. And it also says that there is destruction. And you have a misguided belief if you think that it's offensive to say that there is a righteous way and a wicked way. America would want you to say, hey, do what makes you happy. Do what makes you feel fulfilled. And that's where 2020 America has said, do whatever you want. As long as you're not hurting anybody, go ahead and live how you want. Pursue what you want. But that is so dangerous. And we perpetuate this idea of subjective morality and say that absolute truth is complete nonsense and that it's that's oppressive and that it's offensive. We don't like the idea that there is righteous way and a, a wicked way, a, a wrong way, a right way. And we definitely, man, as a pastor in America, I feel the pressure to, to leave out the fact that there is a way that leads to destruction because we don't want to hear that anymore. We think that that's offensive. But it's, but it's just true. Like there's a way leading to destruction and the people telling you do what you want are not your friends. They're not helping you because you're on your way to destruction and they're making you feel good about it. That is not the heart of the gospel. The, go- the Bible is not a pillow. It's a sword. Like it's not designed to make you feel good. It's designed to challenge you and it's useful for rebuke and to, to make you correct the path that you're on. So let me talk to to the skeptics really quick. Okay, so if you're in this room or you're tuning in online and you've got questions about Christianity, which I get it, those questions are great questions. You're actually not a bad person for having those questions. Maybe maybe you're even on the fence for your faith right now. I want to tell you this, okay? Don't be offended by the absolute truth claim of Christianity. I don't want you to be offended by that. Number one, let me come from a philosophical standpoint, to say that absolute truth claims are are wrong, that it's wrong to make an absolute truth claim, is an absolute truth claim. To say that absolute truth does not exist is an absolute truth claim. So you are tearing down the very world that you are trying to tear down. Like you're tearing down your own viewpoint that no absolute truth exists is to say that that is an absolute truth. So philosophically, the argument doesn't hold water. 
But, but let's go a little bit deeper because my heart breaks for, for skeptics because you've been given the wrong absolute truth claim, and I don't blame you. This is the absolute truth claim, and, and we got to own this church in America. We've created this. Because people are leaving the faith because what we say is absolute truth is that Christians are righteous and everyone else is wicked. And can I, can I be honest? That is not the gospel. That is not the gospel at all. And so if you've left the faith or if you're questioning the faith because someone told you that Christians are better than everybody else, I'm with you. And my heart breaks for you. And I'm offended by that because that is oppressive. And that does lead to abuse. But that's not the gospel. The real absolute truth claim that this is making and that Christians should be making is that we are all wicked, but Christ is righteous. And when we come in Christ, we get his righteousness. We are covered by his righteousness. I have zero righteousness in me. As the campus pastor at our Germantown campus, I have zero righteousness. David Waldrop is 100% sinful but I am 100% under the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that's what God sees. That's the absolute truth claim that Jesus is 100% righteous and every other method or venue or way is wickedness. This is not oppressive. It's not oppressive. And Christians, we gotta stop being ashamed. I'm gonna get on a little soapbox here and uh, I just want the Lord, I, I want you to hear my heart, okay? All of you in the crowd, all of you watching online, I want you to hear my heart here, but I'm really frustrated. And I feel, like, I feel like the Holy Spirit is really grieved because Christians were way too ashamed of this. We're way too ashamed to call it what it is, that there is righteousness and there is wicked. And we just want to be the world's friend when that's not what we were supposed to be. We were supposed to be the world's light. We were supposed to be the world's salt. And so Christians, stop being ashamed to say that Jesus is the only way. He is the only way because he's the only one who dealt with the problem. Oprah didn't deal with the problem. Buddha didn't deal with the problem. Muhammad didn't deal with it. It was only Jesus. He's the only one that said, you have wicked in you, but you can come under me. No other God did that. And we've got to be, stop being so scared of that. That's not offensive because we're all on the same playing field. It's actually the only thing that's freeing. Christians, stop, please, please, those watching online, and don't tune out until the very end. I want you to hear the whole message here. Stop advocating for lifestyles that are sinful and are leading people to destruction when you know that the Bible is very clear. It's very, very clear. And, and don't do that for yourself either. Don't, don't do this. Stop trying to justify the sin that is toxic to your spiritual growth, that is spiritually killing you. Quit trying to justify it. Quit trying to contextualize your way up. Well, the apostle Paul really was trying to say, no, no, he's very clear. Jesus was very clear. Quit trying to justify it. This, this will free a lot of Christians. So Christians, I'm talking to you right now. I'll get back to the unbelievers in a second. Christians, when you look at the Bible and something is offensive to you, I want you to start assuming that you are the problem not the Bible, okay? You are the one that is flawed, not the word. So when you rub up against a verse, and can I be honest, really, really honest? That happens for me. I see things in the Bible, I'm like, 
whew, God, okay, all right, you, you went there. Like you said that, that was pretty clear. Look, when you rub up against that, don't make it seem like you're more righteous and just and, and holy than God. Assume that you are the problem, that your worldview is the problem and put it in submission to God's perfect sense of justice. So David, that's, that's all fine and good and you're rambling here. What does that have to do with my happiness and my fulfillment? The answer, absolutely everything, everything. Because if a fish had a misguided belief that he would have a more happy and fulfilled life living on land, he will move up to the land and he will die a slow, suffocating death because of his misguided belief. And subjective morality is one misguided belief that I can't sit idly by anymore and let you lead to destruction, on your way to destruction, without evaluating, man, there's something in me that wants something that could kill me. You have that. I have that. Let's throw away those misguided beliefs. We're going to keep moving here. Coming back to verse 1 here. So we've talked about this. Blessed, happy, and fulfilled is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. So our behavior. Stand in the way that sinners take, our beliefs. Or sit in the company of mockers. And I want you to see this progression here. When you study the Bible, I want you to notice every word. The Bible is so, so intentional about the way it words things. Look, first it starts with walking. Then it's standing, now it's sitting, and when you go back to verse, all the way down to verse 6, it's destruction. You see that slow, progressive death? Like, you start behaving a certain way, and then you try to justify those behaviors, and before you know it, you belong with the exact people that you were sent to save. You, you were sent to this world to be an ambassador to them, and now this is, this is where you belong, Look, sitting in the company of mockers, I know to us we think, oh, mockers, that's a little less harsh than sinners and wicked. No, it's not. Because the Bible mentions mockers multiple times. And, and can I be honest? Every time it mentions mockers, there is little to no hope that they will ever see the light of Christ. Because once you've devolved into being a mocker, what you have done is you have made the whole goal of your entire life not to grow, not to flourish, but to actually just destroy and rip down every construct around you. And you don't look at how can I grow? How can the world be better? It's how can I destroy and make fun of and, and criticize every single thing around me. And when you get to that point, the next step is destruction. The next step is death. So why aren't we happy and fulfilled? Here's why. Our destructive decisions, misguided beliefs, and negative influences. When you sit in the company of mockers, in ancient Near Eastern literature, to talk about the people you sit with was basically saying, this is who you belong to. This is your crowd now. You identify with this crowd. And the moment we get to the point where everything is just a joke, Everything is negative. Everything, everything around us is flawed and everything out there. And that's all you can ever see. It, it will drain the life right out of you. You ever been around negative people? Like you sit in a room where everyone's just bashing everything. Man, it will drain you. It is draining. And you know the thing that is the most scary about negative influences is it works kind of like drugs. It feels really good in the moment. I want you to be real. Come on, don't come in here acting all holy. It feels really good when you're around the water cooler at work to bash all of your coworkers. It feels really good to talk about how much you hate so-and-so and how annoying is so-and-so and how it feels good because you, you have a common goal. You have a common enemy. But what happens is the more you start to do that, it just starts to, to kill you a little bit. 
Like it kills your joy. And you know this, the most joyful people are the least negative. Like it's the people that refuse to participate in the gossip. The more you partake, the more negative you feel. And here's the problem. If the only thing that brings you happiness is the destruction and criticism of others, then the only thing that's gonna be left in your world is nothing because you're gonna destroy everything. If destruction is what brings you happiness and fulfillment, then you will end up empty and alone and eventually you too will be destroyed. Because when you invite down criticism on negativity and criticism on bad things, you've got that in you. Okay, so if you want God to wipe out every bad thing in the world, you've gotta understand you're part of that bad thing. Like, man, if I had another 30 minutes, I would talk about cancel culture right now because Jesus is not cancel culture. You should thank God that Jesus did not want to cancel you because of your sin. Jesus is a redeemer. He's not a canceler. And we need to quit looking at the world. What else can we cancel? What else can we boycott? What else can we quit? That's not the gospel. Now, Don't hear what I'm not saying. Sin is real and we should call it out. That's what I just talked about, about misguided beliefs. But the fact is, our goal should not be to destroy. We were put on this earth to develop it, to bring shalom to the earth. That was what we were created to do, not to destroy it, not to rip it apart. That's why negative influences will never help you. I'm gonna skip ahead because I wanna get to some stuff. This is so good. Basically, this just tells you what a mocker is and how to identify if you are one or if your friends are one. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. But when you rebuke the wise, they will love you. They'll thank you. Look, two things I wanna tell you. You will never be fulfilled or happy if you get to a point where nobody's allowed to call you out. You'll never be happy. If, if, you're, if, you're, if your level of offense, if you can only handle this much criticism from here to here, that's how small you're gonna be your entire life. The level to which you're offended is the level to which you're gonna grow. But if you're willing to say, you know what, I, I trust you, I trust you. I'm not talking about allowing people to hurt you. I'm talking about the people that love you enough to call you out. If you're willing to say, you know what, you're not gonna offend me, what, what do I need to do? That's wisdom. That's wisdom. But whenever you hate people that try to correct you and call you out on your sin, you're a mocker. That's what mockers do. Don't be that way. You will also never be happy and fulfilled if this is your crew, if this is who you roll with. Everyone that just hates everything, everything. Everything is bad. Everything is wrong. Yes, everything is flawed. We live in a sinful world, but come on. Come on. Let's, let's not be that way. Let's, let's allow the rebuke to, to shape us. So... Now we've identified why aren't we fulfilled, okay? Our decisions, our beliefs, our influences. Now let's get to the good stuff here. Let's get to, let's get to the heart of what this verse is all about. Verse two, but this is talking about the, the blessed person whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Now let me explain to you. When it says the law of the Lord, It's not talking about the part of the Bible that tells all the rules. It's not talking about the Ten Commandments and all the the rules of how to live. It's talking about the entire message of the Bible being the supreme law of your life, making the entire message of the Bible your supreme law. Happy, fulfilled people, just they have a different delight than unhappy and unfulfilled people. So... Here's the question. Okay, if you've tuned out and if I've been really boring to you this whole time, now's the time to tune back in. 
because I'm going to answer the question, and this question, the answer doesn't come from David Waldrop. It comes from this passage here, and I want you to see this. Stop buying the books. Here's the answer. How can we become happy and fulfilled? You want to know? Here it is. How do we become happy and fulfilled? When we stop looking for happiness and fulfillment. Okay, look, this is not a typo, okay? And I get that. It's like, oh, that, well, that's confusing. How are you telling me that, that I can be happy by, by not looking for happiness and fulfillment? You've got to understand this principle. If you can understand this, you will be so much more fulfilled and it will lead you so much closer to Christ. Happiness and fulfillment cannot be the end goal and the, the end of your journey is eventually finding it. That can't be. It will leave you empty. Happiness and fulfillment are just the byproduct of searching for something that's better. You will not get happiness as the end. It will only come as a byproduct. Here, here's what I mean. The best way to ruin a beautiful moment, okay, like watching your child be born, or I remember when I stood right here and watched Esther, Esther wave at everybody. She's got a good hair day right now. She's looking good. She just got that bailage, bailage, whatever. It was expensive. That's all I know. But I remember, I remember standing right there watching Esther come down the aisle, and you know how I would have poisoned that moment? If I would have thought, man, I wish this moment would never end. If all I thought about was, I don't want it to end, I don't want it to end, please don't end, please don't end, I would have missed the moment. But it was the most satisfying and it was the greatest moment outside of receiving Christ that I have ever had and will ever have on this earth. Because I wasn't thinking about how much longer till it's over, don't let it end, I was just in that moment. To say, I wish this moment could last forever, that's going to be the fastest moment of your life. Or, or how about this? The best way to drive away someone that makes you happy is to start trying to figure out ways that they could actually make you happier. Where it's like, okay, yeah, you're making me pretty happy. Oh, but if you also did this, 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 and this, oh, man, that would be, that would be even better and better. And eventually, you, you get devoured by your own pursuit of happiness because you're hyper aware of every sense of emptiness. Whenever it's like, I could just, if I just had a little bit more, if I just had a little bit more, then I'd find real fulfillment. And can I be honest with you? There's nothing on this world that's going to give you that, that little bit more. You're not going to be filled up ever. And you're going to turn everything else into your source and, and you're going to feel left empty. So what does the psalmist say that we should do? I'm going to throw it back up here just to make sure you remember this. It's, not seeking after. It doesn't say blessed people's delight is in happiness and in fulfillment. No, it says blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. And if that's too Old Testament for you, let's talk about things Jesus said in his greatest sermon that he ever preached. This is good. This is a good sermon here because it's not mine. This came straight from Jesus. Blessed, happy and fulfilled, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. In other words, the only people that will ever feel empty on this earth are the people that are not looking for righteousness. Same sermon, one chapter later. But seek first, first as a priority, first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. The only time you'll ever be missing is when you're not seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. Here's the point. 
And what I'm about to put on the screen here, it's, it's not going to come natural to you. This is not the natural inclination of your heart, but this was worth the price of admission for you when you came in these doors. I'm telling you, this right here, I want you to take a picture of it, and I want you to change the way you live based on this truth. If you seek righteousness more than happiness, you'll get both. But if you seek happiness more than righteousness, you'll get neither. If you seek righteousness more than happiness, you'll get both. You will be happy and fulfilled if you seek righteousness. But if you seek happiness more than righteousness, you're not going to get either one. And that's the problem with America is that we believe that righteousness is in the eye of the beholder. And so everyone can make their own righteousness, but it's not true. It's just, it's just, it's just not true. So we all, I told you, this is not the natural inclination of our heart. We all get this wrong. Every single one of us, Christian and atheist alike, we get this wrong. Christians, especially, because Jesus raised the standard so high that it was impossible for anyone but him to become righteous. That's why our only hope is to be in him. But even if you're not a believer, even if you consider yourself agnostic, atheist, or a member of another faith, you can admit this. We're in the same boat because you don't live up to your value system either. You've got, some, unless you're a sociopath, you have some sort of moral code. And I would be willing to debate you where that moral code even came from. But the fact is, you believe, even if you don't believe in God, you believe that, that honesty is a virtue. You believe that integrity is a virtue. So here's what happens. Christians and atheists, we both do this. You value honesty until it costs you your happiness and your comfort in which case you'll lie. So if you got caught by your boss and you weren't really taking, you know, just your kids to school, you actually taking a, a day out to the beach, you're gonna lie because in that moment, your comfort and happiness and not getting in trouble is more important than your value system. Or, or you value integrity, but until you start, you know, until you get in a situation where you really wanna be happy and you find fulfillment in winning, you start to cheat. And you undermine your value system of integrity and you start to deflate footballs and spy on other football teams' practices. That, oh, that's the Patriots, sorry. But you, you, start, to, you start to cheat. You value integrity. You, you value what's right. But, but if my happiness is in jeopardy, I, I'm going to violate my... That's what sin is. Whether you're atheist or Christian, that's, that's what falling short is. We all fall short of the glory of God and even of our own standards. You hold everyone else to those standards but yourself. So here's the problem. When we approach Christianity, we are too unwilling to lay down our happiness. And when we do that, our happiness and our comfort becomes our God. Call it what you want. But whenever you make a decision to put anything else before the righteousness of God, that thing is your God. So here, here's some of the ways that we do that. And this is the one, hey, I love you. I'm your friend, but I'm coming for you because I'm coming for me too. This is convicting. Here's the ways that you put anything before God. Well, I'll believe in God or I'll follow God if he performs that miracle exactly the way that I think it should. If my grandma gets healed from cancer, I'll start believing in God. No, her healing would bring you happiness and that's your God. Or I'll believe in God until it conflicts with my current beliefs and values. He better not disagree with this statement that America perpetuates because if he does, then I can't do it. No, then that belief system brings you happiness and that's your God, 
not God. Or I'll believe in God as long as I don't have to, ooh, as long as I don't have to change my lifestyle, okay? So I'll follow God, but he better not tell me that it's wrong to have sex before I'm married. He better not tell me that because I don't wanna give that up. That's your God. That's what you want more than God. So of course it's not gonna work. Chris, Christianity is not gonna work for you because God is not first in your life. That thing, God, don't, I'm willing to follow God, but don't tell me to give up drinking. Don't tell me to give up smoking those things. Don't, don't make me give up those prescriptions that I'm abusing. Look, that's your God. If you put anything before him, that, that becomes your God. Or I'll believe in God or I'll start following God unless it ends up costing me something else. Friends, I don't wanna lose my friends. They'll, they'll feel bad. Or I don't wanna get, don't ask me to give my money. Being a Christian means I gotta give my money. No, I'm not doing that. My time, my status, look, those things are your God. Any of those prerequisites, any of those conditions you put before him, that, that's your God. And here's why that's bad. It's not because I'm better than you because God's my God and those things, are, no, no. Those things are going to kill you and they're gonna take away your happiness and fulfillment because they can't deliver. They're an insufficient source. So how are we supposed to know? How are we supposed to know when we're doing this? How, how can we know that we're living in this thing the right way? Because look, you might be saying, Pastor David, I, I agree with all those things and I feel like I am putting God first and I feel like I am doing everything you just said, but what am I supposed to do when life gets hard? Like really, really hard. Like the doctor just gave a bad report or I just lost my job or, or so-and-so just walked out on me. Am I supposed to just be happy and pretend that everything's okay? Short answer, absolutely not. That is anti-biblical, it's superficial, and it is frankly annoying. It's annoying. There is a time for weeping. There is a time for mourning. But I want you to see this verse because this gives us the answer here. That person, the blessed person, is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers, but not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Now, I want you to notice something here, and I've only got one minute to tell you these things. I want you to notice a couple of things here. The tree is not always yielding fruit. It says that it yields fruit in seasons, meaning that the tree is subject to the same seasons as the chaff, which is like this outer coating of the wheat and it was basically useless and the wind could blow it away very easily. They're both subject to the same seasons. So you're the same way that the tree doesn't always bear fruit, you're not gonna always be cheerful. You're not gonna always be in such a good mood. That's not, that doesn't, that's not even what it's saying here. There will be a time where you're bearing fruit and there'll be a time where you're not. But the difference is the chaff withers, but the tree doesn't. So why is that? They both experience the same seasons of drought, of dryness, but when plant, here's what you gotta know. When plants experience drought and dryness, what they do is they pull from the roots, from what's beneath them. Okay, that, because the, what's on the surface has run out. So they've got to pull from what's beneath them. And for the chaff, there's nothing. It's, it's dryness. They're, they've been planted by dryness, but, but a tree planted by a river, by a streams of water, that tree, when dryness hits, even though it's not gonna bear fruit, its leaves are not gonna wither. It's not gonna experience death because it's pulling from something deeper. It's pulling from something that's not affected by the seasons. And I wanna ask you this question and then I'm gonna turn it over and we're gonna worship. But I wanna ask you this question. Have you made your season into your source of happiness and fulfillment? 
Like, do you feel like you can only be happy as long as all the conditions are good? You're only gonna feel fulfilled? Because if so, dryness is going to take away those resources from you and you're gonna blame God when it happens because pain is going to come to Christians and non-Christians alike. And when it comes, you're gonna make the worst mistake you could make and you're gonna think it's God's fault and you're gonna leave him behind because you have nothing else to pull from. Where are you planted? Come on, that's where happiness comes from, by seeking something other than happiness and fulfillment and by being planted by streams of river, of, of water where God is not affected by the seasons like we are and you can pull from that. That's, that's what the message of faith is. Don't walk out on God. Don't, please, please don't walk out on God because life got hard pull from something deeper. And if you've got nothing deeper, then root yourself by the streams of water. Root yourself in Christ because you can experience, we just sang about it and we're about to sing about it right now. You can experience the goodness of God, whether it's a season of blessings or a season of dryness, you can experience the goodness of God. So come on, all across this place, can we just make some noise for Jesus? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand up on your feet right now. I'm gonna turn this over to our worship team and I want you to consider this question. What's your source? Is it your season or is it the streams that can come from only God? Come on, think about this. No one moving around. Let's worship and let's praise him for that.